The Sock Jig Sneaker Podcast. Drink every time I say cook group. Welcome to the Sock Jig Sneaker Podcast. I'm your host, Sock Jig. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as well at SockJig. And here we are. Here we are to talk about sneakers and not about the price of Ethereum or Bitcoin or something like that that's taken over your group chat. Only sneakers on this podcast. First up, I wanted to give a note that I am going to be restocking the OG version of the cream and black sock, the SockJig socks that I have, probably next week. So... You know, that means the the week of May 10th, so I, you know, you're probably listening to this at a random time. I'm retroing my uh, socks, so that means I'm already washed up and already out of ideas. But really, these socks, um, the first time I did them, the logo was a little bit too big, and I did correct them on every sock afterwards. So I wanted to go back and fix it, make it back to the, the, the smaller size. And the socks are basically a way if of supporting me, the show, the Twitter account, whatever. I don't do ads. I don't do affiliate links. I'm not here trying to make money. Even the sock stuff, you know, I'm not trying to create a fashion brand, but it does help. It is nice to get them out there. It is nice that people want them. So if you do want to support me, that is an awesome way to do it. I really appreciate it. So follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'll have more release details there, uh, the exact date and time when they'll release. Today's episode is about a list of all the unethical shit that happens in the world of sneakers. I kind of rapid fire go through them. Really for some of these ones, uh, topics could be an entire show. You know, I already did an entire show on design contests, for example. But here I was just trying to list as many of the things I could think of. Some, you know, obvious ones like scamming and stuff like that. And some maybe not so obvious. But before that, let's do on feet and pickups. On feet lately has been the Awake Asics Gel Canal, the silver and green pair. Um, that's probably the last shoe I undead sock, and I really love that one. I've been wearing it most of the week. I also wore the Travis One Lows a few days, and that is still my favorite Travis shoe of all time. Pickups, there's been a few pickups. I picked up the Red Flints, the 13s. They were basically sitting in Canada. I know they probably sold out in the US, but here you could get them later on in the afternoon. I got the Kith New Balance 990 V2 in the CL colorway from the, the loyalty email. i uh, excited about those ones. The CL one is probably the best colorway next to gray for New Balance. I picked up the Travis 6 khaki. I got the complete your purchase email from the, the raffle. They're pretty nice in hand. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a size 12 uh, Jordan 6. They're basically huge. Um, I also got the Ama Manier 3. Um, I was able to win the the general raffle for those, so I got I had my size earlier on. And, you know, shout out to Amon Menier and Shopify and everyone involved with that for that drop. That was a, a pretty, great, pretty great drop. 
Um, so for the actual drop, I was able to help out a friend and I tried out for his size. And so I got his pair. I don't have shipping on that yet. So, but it sounds like they probably had, you know, maybe 10,000, 20,000 pairs online drop. So they're probably rolling out shipping slowly. I also copped a vaccine. You know, didn't have to sit in queue. Easy checkout. I'm happy about that. All right. For the main topic, I made a list of all the unethical shit in the world of sneakers that I could think of. Uh, you know, as I was making this list, it's just things were coming to me day of, you know, a couple this morning, right before I'm still recording. So this might not be an exhaustive list, but I tried to cover most of the main ones. There's always scenarios and stuff that comes up that, you know, I probably haven't thought about. For some definitions first, there's a slight difference between morals and ethics. Uh, morals are more often personal, whereas ethics are more like the standards of what's good and bad, distinguished by a certain community. So I'm more concerned about ethics, but really I'm kind of be using them interchangeably here. Um, the difference is slight and kind of gets into, you know, Wikipedia kind of shit. And, you know, I, I say there that it's kind of what's uh, distinguished by a certain community. Some communities have differing versions of what's ethical and what's not. You know, a good example might be, uh, uh, you know, someone has said that basically every in-store looper in New York City is a scammer. You know, maybe scamming is part of the culture in New York City. But anyways, uh, I broke this list down between uh, resellers, buyers, stores, brands, and, you know, some other outlier stuff. Going through the list, you'll kind of see that sometimes it's obvious that it's, you know, something is straight up uh, illegal and unethical. Uh, sometimes it's offensive or wrong or stupid, but, you know, it's not exactly illegal or anything like that. Most of the time, the answer is really that it just kind of depends. Uh, there's versions of it that can be super unethical and versions of it that are okay. And we'll kind of get through some of those. A lot of the times it's like not even wrong or unethical, but it's worth criticizing. And that's kind of the, you know, that's probably best describes my Twitter feed. Okay, first up, reselling. Reselling is not unethical. The actual law is uh, called the first sale doctrine, uh, basically saying that an individual who uh, buys a copy of a copyrighted work from the copyright holder has the right to sell, display, or destroy or dispose of that copy, you know, even if the copyright owner doesn't want you to do that. Basically saying you're allowed to resell your item that you have. You know, the usual mistake that, you know, that comes up every time a PlayStation sells out or U2 tickets uh, sell out or whatever white people are concerned about is um, price gouging. Price gouging is only uh, occurs on like essential items. You know, of course, we saw this in the in the pandemic with um, face masks and medical supplies and things like that. Those things are essential. Uh, certain groceries, I guess. Most items are not essential. Sneakers are not essential. So price gouging doesn't apply to sneakers. So resell away whatever you want. But what is unethical is I should have actually started with this one is scamming, of course. Anything illegal, and there's a ton of scamming in the world of sneakers. I'm just going to summarize it all as it's illegal, it's unethical, don't do it. But what about if, um, what if you sell something, and then the price goes up, then you don't ship? Uh, you know, technically it is unethical because you agreed to sell it, and you're breaking whatever, especially if it's on StockX or something, you're technically breaking 
uh, the terms of service or something, and you can be penalized. But most of the time, they don't do anything. This is what I meant, where sometimes it's it's wrong and it's unethical, but in this case, the buyer usually gives a shit. I wrote down uh, this one, next one I wrote down on that list. Buying vintage from charity thrift stores in order to resell. Really, I think this is totally fine, too. Most of these thrift stores are aware of the kind of the product they have. Sometimes they're not. Uh, you know, I'm not exactly... Uh, there's people who do thrifting and garage sales and stuff that live in this whole world. And that's where they make their money is, you know, knowing that this is a product that's in demand. Not unethical to me at all. What about UPS label scans? Uh, if you don't know, this is somebody who has the access to uh, a UPS label scanner. So they can mark your item as uh, as scanned in as, you know, uh, available to ship. So this is useful for, of course, for StockX uh, and go to where you might not have the item in hand yet or you want to pre-sell the item when the price is still high and you can get someone to scan the tracking that you get so that it appears that you do have it in hand and then once you do get it in hand you know the three or four days later after your usual deadline you can then drop it off and it's good to go now clearly this is kind of misrepresentation so it is unethical but you know it's kind of a victimless crime like punching someone in the dark. There's a version of uh, label scans where it's not exactly label scans, where someone offers to sell you a cheaper uh, shipping label. And then they, because they created the shipping label, they have the right to redirect that item and then, you know, keep it for themselves. Obviously that's fraud. That of course is unethical. Next on the list, selling Kobe's or charity shoes. You know, something like the, the Dornbeckers um, uh, belongs on this list as well. Really, I, you know, there's people who get mad about this stuff, obviously, for clear reasons. But I think resellers can sell whatever they want. My important distinction there is, especially after Kobe died and, you know, the, the, the wound was so raw to everybody. Everybody was in mourning and shock and kind of processing it all together. In the middle of that, if you had resellers like flexing the price, um, buying up stuff, I, I, you know, I might personally think it's wrong, but I still agree that they should be able to do it, if that makes any sense. But if they want to flex it, they should be prepared for people telling them to fuck off because it looks kind of callous and gross. So that's my thing. I, you know, I support your right to resell it, but if you want to flex it, then don't be like shocked that people are like mad at you. Like, oh my goodness, why are you guys pissed off? Everyone does this, blah, 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 whatever. You, you know, you should be aware of the optics always. Then what about uh, StockX or GOAT selling Kobe's or Dornbeckers and stuff like that? The, the ethics of a marketplace. Really, this could probably be its own podcast in itself. And you'll see some of this happen in botting marketplace, which we'll kind of get to a little bit later as well, too. Now, after Kobe passed, there's, you know, rightful criticism that, you know, StockX is skimming on all these sales and making money. And they responded that they would start donating proceeds of those profits to uh, Mamba charities and things like that. But, you know, there's a certain time limit on that as well, too. And, you know, during this whole time, they've been reselling Dornbeckers uh, and skimming on sales of those and, you know, have not probably donated to Dornbecker charity itself, I'm assuming. Often the ethics of a marketplace, the marketplace just kind of puts up their hands and say, hey, we just offer 
a way for sellers and buyers to connect and we have nothing to do with it and kind of look the other way because they don't want to go in and out and kind of change their mind and the policies per shoe. So they just do it blanket. Next on the list, not paying taxes, unethical, selling seeded pairs. Uh, who cares? I can let complex talk about that kind of stuff. Lotto raffling. You see this a lot on Instagram. I've talked about this about uh, a couple times as well, too. You know, there's the, the net guy who sells the Lego toys. Even that I've called as, as kind of a uh, selling toys to children. It's kind of like Joe Camel, kind of, you know, a cartoon selling cigarettes to kids. Overall, my issue with this kind of stuff is, you know, it attracts addicts. It creates addicts. Everyone flexes the success of, you know, hitting whatever shoe for $14. But no one ever talks about the years of L's or how many thousands they've lost to it. No one has a publicly available gambling addiction policy. Things like that. So in my eyes, this stuff is unethical. I don't do it. I don't think people should do it. But I know people you know, have a different opinion than me, that they like it, it's fun, it's whatever. Okay, let's go into the world of uh, botting and uh, all the stuff that comes with uh, doing this on scale. Is botting itself unethical? Mass botting, I say yes. If you've gotten, you know, thousands and thousands of checkouts, I think it is unethical, but but it doesn't seem like it's illegal. The only stuff that is illegal is... Um, uh, the ticket botting stuff. But of course, that depends on whatever your local laws are. The version of it that is botting that is ethical, that I think even uh, JM Wind, the, the Shopify guy, has talked about is ethical botting is basically means if you run one or two tasks and you get one checkout, that is probably ethical. Stuff like autofill or even these uh, lightning add to cart kind of extensions that kind of automate that the, the browser parts, the, the Chrome extension stuff. That's all ethical uh, in my eyes as well. Next on the list, bypasses. These are kind of like what bots find on certain sites in order to check out. Uh, There's a version of this that is probably illegal and there's a version that's probably legal. So the legal version, like if you find, you know, something like bypass equals true, you just add that on and it works. Or for example, in Canada, some of these drugstore type sites that dropped PlayStations had a queue on the front page, but they also had an accessibility page. And that's, you know, usually those pages are for, you know, vision impaired or hearing impaired kind of people, that kind of stuff uh, to find product. And so the hack was if you went to that page and searched PlayStation, you could actually add it to cart and check out. So that's an example of a bypass that's legal, but probably unethical because you're pretending you need help and but is it a big deal? Not really. The illegal stuff, the legal bypasses, you know, there are certain talks of bypasses with uh, some of these footsite bots like uh, Knight and Nebula that have ha- have some sort of bypass that's working on footsites. You know, I, I don't know the details of any of those, so I, I'm just talking, you know, g- generally here. But a, a version of an illegal bypass would be you know, say you had an access to a server, you kind of hacked into someone's server, you modified something, uh, you you made it so you can uh, double or triple your FLX points or whatever. That kind of version, anything that involves hacking and uh, illegally accessing something, of course, is going to be unethical. Jigging addresses, ethical. Uh, 
data center proxies. Uh, ethical is just a data center. A version of this that probably is unethical is selling proxies you know that are banned. And I've heard that some some providers have done this in the past. So if you say, yeah, these sites work on foot sites and stuff, but you have information that on the day of they will be banned, but you sold them anyways, that I think is unethical. But the version of this that is unethical is residential proxies or can be unethical. You know, residential proxies are those like, you know, everyone's home kind of computer has a residential proxy. Um, these are favored by sites because they're, you know, it, it looks like it's a regular person, whereas a data center always looks like it's some bot. And there are sites, there are places, the providers that sell these, uh, and they're much more expensive and they're often slower. And the reason is a lot of people are providing their residential IP to these proxy providers unknowingly. So, you know, I've made jokes in the past that, you know, you, the, they work by someone going to grandma's house and, you know, grandma's just excited to see Sonny boy. And he's putting he's like, grandma, I'm putting a computer in the, in the kitchen here. Just don't touch it. And that's kind of not far from the truth of what is actually happening in this whole world. Uh, maybe uh, some have downloaded like these free VPNs. I know a lot in Canada, people download free B VPNs or other apps like whatever, some free Mahjong app or something like that. Those apps work by making your IP address available to the network. And then that person, that provider that has access to your IP address now then sells it to someone who wants to run it for their footsite bot. And even, you know, some cameras on your network that have uh, security vulnerabilities, stuff like that can be searched for, hacked, and used as a proxy. Um, there's a white paper on this called Resident Evil Understanding Residential IP Proxy as a Dark Service. So I'm not just making that up. You can search that title and find all the details of it. You know, some of the, this is part of the summary here. Surprisingly, despite the provider's claims that proxy hosts are willingly joined, Many proxies run on likely compromised hosts, including IoT devices. That's what I mean by, um, you know, from free apps to play poker to uh, your camera. Okay, ba back to the summary. Through cross-matching the hosts, we discovered and labeled potentially unwanted programs logs provided by a leading IT company. We uncovered various illicit operations Resi hosts performed including illegal promotion, fast fluxing, phishing, malware hosting, and others. Another thing that botters really need are aged Gmails. You know, everyone has one or two Gmail addresses they've had for a long time, and they work good because it's your main Gmail. But, but if you're trying to bot something like Easy Supply, you need a Gmail address per task. And, you know, say you got 50 tasks or hundreds of tasks, and you're hoping for hundreds of checkouts. So that's how many Gmails you need. Again, I'm not the expert on that kind of stuff. The task to Gmail ratio, whatever. I just know you need a whole bunch of them. So think of it that way. You know, there's a version of this where you can get Gmails. Uh, you use Gmails, you create them yourself, you warm them up, you know, you use a, their services like AYCD that can automate the watching of Peppa Pig clips or whatever, whatever they do to kind of get your account from a 0.3 score to a 0.9 score, which is what bots need. But there's also services that sell old Gmail accounts um, that are not warm. They're just old accounts. 
And usually what's happened here is they're all stolen. Someone has used hacked passwords that come out from, you know, these, uh, from these breaches where, and then they just run the list of the stolen passwords to certain accounts, or it's, you know, it's a direct one-to-one. It's a list of someone's Gmail that's long dormant. It hasn't been used, but it was created back in 2009 or whatever. So there's providers that sell you, you know, lists of these emails. You get the Gmail, you get the address, and often they will change the password a couple weeks later after and then sell it again. So all that stuff, unethical. Selling a service that automates Peppa Pig clips for your own Gmail, that's totally fine. Some other stuff on here, some, you know, obvious stuff. Hacking bots, stealing source code, unethical. Bot flipping. Um, There's people that do this a lot, uh, a lot of pump and dump or insider trading. There's, you know, there's no SEC, there's no bot security commission. So this is the kind of the wild, wild west of a, uh, a marketplace where no one's looking. You know, pump and dump, obviously unethical. Insider trading, obviously unethical. You know, but what are you going to do in this world? It's it's botting. It's, it's not exactly scholars and gentlemen. An interesting case that I had heard of recently was uh, someone got access to a bot that was accidentally selling keys for $1. Uh, and then they went on bot broker and sold all those keys. And once you know, uh, the bot itself found out about this, you know, this issue that allowed people to have $1 keys, they went and canceled all those keys. But those keys were already sold through bot broker. And bot broker, like I said, in the place, the ethics of a marketplace, they, they, what I heard, put their hands up and kind of said, Hey, we got nothing to do with this. We're just a marketplace. Really the guy who got the $1 keys, they're supposed to report this stuff and be like, excuse me, sir, I got these keys for $1. Can I have a reward, please? But really, they went into this marketplace, sold all the keys. The marketplace assumes they're legitimate keys. So does the buyer in that marketplace. The bot figures out what's going on, cancels them. You know, the buyer who bought it on bot broker is in shit out of luck. Really, I don't blame bot broker for this. And I don't blame the bot in question for this either. From what I've seen, some bot owners are like, okay, this happened. Uh, I'll I'll honor those keys or resell them again at retail to those buyers. But other bots can just say, you know, screw you, not happening. Just have a hard line stance about it. You know, that's the kind of shit you have to deal with in this bot flipping, botting marketplace world. Okay, continue on the list. (laughs) For sneaker Twitter, stolen tweets, unethical. Flexing fake checkouts, you know, stolen valor, you know, it's stupid, but I guess it technically it's not unethical. It's just whatever. Um, oh, quick groups, leaking info, you know, technically it's unethical. This happens a lot where say one group has exclusive information about a restock happening or stock numbers. And then someone from that group will then, you know, tell a friend or tell, post it in another group, you know, in this world, a group might be paying for information, and then when it gets leaked, uh, you know, the other per- people who get it aren't technically paying for it. So, you know, in a way it is unethical, but uh, for myself, I don't really care about it too much. And the people who do care are those cook group owners, and they're rich, so who cares? Okay, on the buyer side, if you claim something was not delivered and it was actually delivered, 
that is unethical because it's basically fraud. Charging back, charging back on bricks. Say you bought something and you wanted to flip it, but it turns out it's a brick, so you want to, you know, return it. They don't let you return it, so you charge back. Unethical. Offering to buy and then ghosting. You know, this is one of the ones where it's technically not unethical, I guess, because, uh, you know, offering to buy is still in the talking part of it. But in terms of the rules of the community, uh, you know, fuck off if you do this kind of shit. Taking grandma to the raffle. You know, I, I would I would tend to say this is unethical, but really, grandparents, all they want to do is spend time with their grandchildren. So if she got to spend the day with Sunny Boy, that's all right with me. Reselling an op. So if someone, um, or an oop is that people say, if someone got you something for retail and then you sold it later, is that unethical? The answer to this can always be, it depends. Like, you know if you're doing some a straight-up dick move. If someone got you something that's worth $600 and you turn around and sell, resell it instantly, that's unethical. Um, but say it's a, and it's a Nexus shoe and they're long gone, resell it away. Okay, this one I wrote down because I saw it the other day. Snitching to livestock about someone reselling a shoe on Facebook. So someone is selling a Travis 6 that they won the raffle and they were started instantly posted it for sale. And then people saw the guy's name and, you know, wrote a letter to, wrote an email to Livestock. It would be pretty interesting if they actually wrote a snail mail letter. Um, so wrote an email to Livestock and then Livestock basically responded and canceled the invoice. Uh, technically, it's not unethical, but eh, it's not something I would do. Another tweet I saw was, someone got a shipment and it had the wrong address on it. And when they opened it, they saw it was strange loves. So basically, by the time you even opened it, uh, if you see the wrong address and then open it, that is unethical. If you didn't see it, you know, obviously that's not. But if you did, you know, my, I would return it. But if there was no way to figure out who it belonged to, you know, it's all scratched out or whatever, free strange loves. Continuing on, retail stores. VIP. VIP is not unethical. Most of the stores have figured out, hey, these are our best customers. These are our most important customers. By whatever metrics they choose to qualify that, be it, you know, that guy's a super nice guy, he's a, you know, the friend of the owner, or they spend enough, or, you know, their spending pattern shows that they're a well-rounded, real person and not, you know, someone who buys, buys like a reseller. You know, I think a lot of times people, uh, stores pick VIP based on, who they just want to deal with. If someone is a you know big spender, doesn't look like a reseller, add them to the list. But if someone who looks like an, a reseller who's just going to text you, bro, 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 I need 200 easies, then I totally understand why you don't want to add that person to your VIP. Because, you know, there's long-term value in that first customer but no long-term value in the customer that wants to return 200 Zions. Which leads to, of course, backdooring. You know, from what I've heard, that stores are basically allowed to keep or withhold, with, easy for me to say, withhold 15% to maybe 20% of stock. I, you know, I know Foot Locker has the same kind of ratio for that number of stock being held for employees. So employees selling the pairs that they get on employee allocation that's totally ethical to me. Backdooring, say that 15, 20% to some, you know, some local reseller who pays a lot, you know, technically unethical, but, but, you know, if they're fine to deal with, 
and they're taking away your junk at the same time. I get it. You know, I like the Marge Simpson meme. I got my hands over my eyes looking the other way. Backdooring large amounts, backdooring everything, even even the t-shirts and stuff like that. Well, then your trophy room, and that's obviously unethical. Stores that have fake raffles and use that as a front to backdoor. Unethical. Stipulation raffles. These are the ones where, like, you know, you got to do the skate trick or uh, women's only ones. You know, I'm sure if someone, you know, went to the Human Rights Commission and filed complaints about all this stuff, something, you know, spent thousands on on a lawyer to complain about this shit, it would eventually side with that person and against the store, but I have no problem with this. Mystery boxes, that's my next on the list. I find these unethical, but there's versions of this that are done right. Soul Supremacy does this really well. I even saw livestock doing this. I don't know what we're going to get from them, but mostly it's a way to get rid of junk or leftovers. And, it's, you know, in a way, it's kind of gambling as well, too, because the whole gist of it is you're trying to get something worth higher value, but paying less for it because you don't know what's in there. What else did I have on the list? Oh, stores uh, having fake or baiting titles to catch people on monitors. I've seen this a couple times where They'll put the wrong title or wrong image or something on there. Um, technically, it's unethical and it's probably not worth the trouble you're going to do because people are just going to charge back and then you got to pay f- you know, fees or refunds and things like that. So don't do it. Okay, for the brands themselves, uh, you know, the first thing I had on the list is issues related to, uh, you know, hiring practices, uh, diversity, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, Adidas and Nike and probably tons of other brands have issues with this where, you know, who's in the room making the decisions? How are people being hired? I'm simplifying this here, but there's a lot to this. But basically, if the people in the room are making the decisions just to hire people just like them, then they're only going to get so far with their brand especially in, in this world of sneakers where, you know, black lives matter, the black lives have influenced so much. And if they're willingly being excluded or not even considered because you just, you just hire your friend instead and turns out, Hey, all my friends are white or men or whatever. You know, the simple version is the more different type of people you have in a room, the better input you'll get, the different kind of input you'll get and your product will be better. Maybe you won't get an all white black history month shoe. Next on the list, problematic names. Chinatown Street Market, uh, you know, kind of talked about that on Twitter for a while. Even that, there was a lot of people defending them, but they themselves said in their statement it wasn't their name to choose, so go by what they officially said. Um, Problematic products. You know, I tweeted about um, this Adidas Jeremy Scott roundhouse mid, it's called, with these shackles on it that looked like they were slave shoes. Really, the, the the inspiration was some 90s or 80s toy that had the shackles, this monster uh, stuffed toy or something like that. But really, like, when you look at it, obviously it looks bad. And it's like, who was in the room back then who made that decision to ship this? Like, obviously the people in the room did not think of slaves and shackles and things like that. So that was back in 2012. So there's versions of this still that happens. Feature had a, a pair of stripper-themed Las Vegas kids' shoes. Um, there's these Travis Scott sixes that came out. There's a stash pocket for the baby shoes. You know, 
technically you can put anything in a stash pocket, but you know, you know what the connotation of a stash pocket is. Next on the list, I had the, the, the shoes for the disabled, the Glowfly Ease issue that came up. Yeah, so this is an interesting issue for Nike itself. I posted about it, and the for me, the interesting part is how they've said it's a shoe for everyone. They have not said it's a shoe for disabled people. For As far as they're concerned, it's a normal shoe. So people are rightfully saying, hey, this is a shoe made for disabled people, and you're an asshole if you're reselling it. But if you listen to what Nike have said themselves, they have not said that. They have said it's a shoe for everyone. And it seems like they've done that on purpose because if a shoe is marketed as only for disabled, then the average mom will say, well, I don't want to, you know, take the, buy this when someone disabled should be buying it themselves. Uh, I'd rather give it to them. That's kind of probably why they shifted away from using disabled and, you know, they use the word adaptive uh, adaptive athletes. So in their mind, they're creating a line for everyone. And it, it makes sense. You know, if you're carrying groceries and you want to slip off your shoes, you can easily do, do that with these shoes, but how they sell the shoe, they obviously Nike only knows how to do it in a hype way. So the way they're doing it, you know, you make a limited item, then you make a GR later. Of, of course, Nike has basically delayed the shoe and it seems like they're trying to figure out how to properly give access to people who are disabled. And it seemed it said that they gave early access to people who showed the most interest in it, who liked the most pictures and watched all the videos. But, you know, that doesn't technically mean that person is disabled. It could just mean someone's interested in the shoe. So, you know, it is kind of a, a PR issue. You can see how the designer of the shoe has, you know, the intentions of making something for disabled people and then, you know, changing it to make it for everyone, for the mom carrying groceries or whoever. You know, as I predicted, the blame is going to resellers who are looking to resell this shoe, even though Nike said it's not a shoe for specifically for disabled people. They said it's a shoe for everyone. You know, if I had access to this shoe, I probably would resell it. Uh, and I'm probably being unethical then, but I probably wouldn't say a word of it if I did. And really, Nike has my back on this because they said it's a shoe for everyone. You know, Nike's goal is probably to make this a competitor to foam runners or something that uh, everyone is casually wearing. But they got to get it out there in numbers. And right now, all I saw was there was probably 1,600 people had early access to it, which is nothing. Really, the blame, I, as I've said on, on Twitter, is, is to Nike. They, they're treating this like a hype product. They could go through the steps, making sure it goes into the right hands. You know, they did a version of this with the, the nursing shoes and gave access to people who are nurses. So they've done versions of this and they can do it again. You know, Nike's goal is not to have something being available in the outlets. It's to have a hit product that people want. Think of the Air Max 270, that it's widely available. People really like it. And they supply as much as the, there is the demand, and it doesn't really go on sale. That's probably what they want with this shoe. And and how soon can they get to that point in the marketplace? Okay, in the world of design with brands, you know, I already did a whole podcast about how I think design contests are unethical by design. So check out that episode. Uh, stealing designs, unethical. There's a story where where someone had made a custom uh, boating jacket and made it Nike 
but it was actually inspired by uh, Versace or some other luxury brand. That w- It was like a one-on-one custom, and then all of a sudden Nike created a version of it. So most likely in that case, the designer saw that and said, hey, this guy recreated a, a Nike, old Nike jacket, and then assumed that it was in the archives when it really wasn't. But even there, he's borrowing design and kind of, uh, it ended up being a one-on-one kind of ripoff. So that is unethical. There's another story where um, uh, an artist known on Instagram and in the sneaker world in general called uh, Caro or Carol Lynn accused Nike of saying that they basically she they basically took a version of her floral swoosh. You know, and this is a case where, you know, I personally thought it, that was fine for Nike to do. It's easy to, you know, have your brand, have your logo, and then make a floral version of it if you have a floral shoe or, you know, say you're making a shoe for Scotland, the Scotland team, and you make your swoosh uh, use a tartan thing. And then some customizer is famous for doing that on their own swooshes. But you just, you know, you, you didn't know about them. So basically, when you become into the world of fan art, you're always running this risk of people taking your thing and kind of ripping it off. So, And there's not much you can do about it because at the end of the day, it's not your brand. You don't own the swoosh. But let's go into uh, bootlegging. Bootlegging, you see this. Even this I've talked about in the past. Bootlegging at small scale is totally fine. You know, even the brand like Fugazi and stuff making these shoes, they put their own twist on it. And as long as you know, they make a small number, I think it's totally fine. Warren Lotus, as discussed before, he was selling pre-orders where there was you know millions of dollars at stake. That's where it became unethical to me and to most people. Cultural appropriation, also unethical in my eyes. And, you know, a lot of people shrug at this and saying, yeah, whatever. Uh, But I always think it's wrong. You know, think of Forever 21 selling, you know, fake Navajo merchandise to 16-year-old white teens or whatever. I remember a couple years ago, Pharrell Hugh had these holy shoes and he was in India covered in the color, looking miserable. And I thought it was cultural appropriation. He didn't give a shit about any of that stuff, but... He had a shoe themed for it, so he was there. But for brands, one of the main things that they get criticized for, especially Nike, is uh, sweatshops and the use of child labor. Um, really, this is a myth, and it was more a thing of the 90s and not exactly now, but it's easier to kind of uh, keep perpetuating that myth or you know, using it as an example of calling Nike hypocrites or something like that, even if it's not clearly what's happening right now. This kind of stuff gets brought up, especially when uh, Colin Kaepernick was in the news when he signed with Nike. And I remember conservatives saying, yeah, but Nike makes everything in a sweatshop by six-year-olds. But really what's happening there is people are just uh, regurgitating stories from the 90s. These are all 90s stories that came out in, you know, uh, 48 hours or 2020 or 60 minutes, those types of places. And there was outrage and then Nike changed their way. You really can't find anything current about this kind of stuff. You know, Nike publishes something called a manufacturing map. So if you search Nike manufacturing map, you see this big Google Maps type of thing that shows you exactly where their factories are, what's being made there, the number of employees they have, the female percentage, and the migrant percentage. So they do publish a lot of data of who's working where. There's even a a Snopes article, do Nike factory workers in Vietnam earn 20 cents per hour? And what they said was true is, what they said is Nike workers in Vietnam are 80% female and 
some may be forced illegally to work more than the working week of 48 hours. And what's false is working between 70 to 80 hours is not typical of a Nike worker in Vietnam. And that wages have increased more than, you know, 20 cents per hour was a 90s thing and have increased since then. You know, so it gets to the point where we can only make decisions on information that we're given and we just can't know any more than what we're told and that everyone has a certain bias at what they're reporting. What Nike is saying is, hey, here's our map, here's where everyone works, everything's great here, but we do not know what's actually going on in those factories. What we do know is not like it was in the 90s, but we don't know the exact conditions. And that kind of leads to the next point as well. The other story that's been in the news uh, was Nike's statement on the, the Xinjiang region in China because there was a potential of forced labor there among employment of the Uyghur, Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities of that region. Even then, Nike basically said in this, you know, this statement, which is kind of unusual for them to make a statement like this, um, you know, it came after H&M and other big companies made the statement saying, none of our stuff comes from that area. We don't use cotton from that area. You know, we're committed to ethical and responsible manufacturing and that kind of stuff. You know, China's basic response is, hey, why are you even making this response, making this statement? None of that stuff exists. Everything's great here. And then, you know, most of China responded with, uh, the people responded with, you know, China is great. China is number one. We hate Nike now. There's, you know, I'm no expert on any of this kind of stuff either. But, you know, what I can say is we are limited by what we know here. From what we're told, there's no forced labor. There's no, uh, you know, slaves or kids working here. And we're given numbers, we're given reports, but behind those reports, we don't really know. So we have to take their word for it. And in this case, you're taking the word of the Chinese government, uh, you know, or, or Nike. And in either case, they're going to say something that protects themselves. You know, but for the purpose of our list here, I'm going to make the assumption that most brand production in 2021 is ethically produced. 100% probably not, but we're limited by what we can find out. You know, my friend uh, Brian on on Twitter, Brian Rivera, formerly of Union uh, Drop Manager, said this in a tweet recently. He said, people need to stop expecting everyone to get in a circle and hold hands in unison in regards to what's morally correct when stuff like this happens. Uh, he was talking about the, the Go Fly Ease shoe there and people's thoughts on reselling it or reselling Kobe's. You know, and I agree. And you can probably see from my answers here, there's parts where I think is clearly unethical or where I draw the line and someone else might not. They might love raffles, for example, whereas I think they're just garbage. Or the version of where I think Chinatown Street Market should have changed their name uh, especially after, you know, it came out that they weren't doing anything to support actual Chinatown markets or anything like that. And people disagreed with me back then. You know, I had I had a bunch of controversial tweets where I called Kith Paris a little too opulent and people got mad at me for that as well, too. You know, there's room for all this kind of stuff. We're all not going to come in, like Brian said, in unison, holding hands and kind of agree to this kind of stuff. You know, but overall, we know what's right. We You know what's wrong if you're doing something. If someone uh, opts you Union 4s, you're going to probably wear them. You're not going to go out there and instantly sell them for more money. You know, to get all Jerry Springer's final thoughts on you, just do the right thing. 
That's the Sock Jake Sneaker Podcast. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next time.